This morning's reading is from John chapter 21, verses 1 to 23. Afterwards, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realise that it was Jesus. He called out to them, Friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, Throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment round him, for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred metres. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153, but even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Because of this, the rumour spread among the believers that this disciple would not die. But Jesus did not say that he would not die. He only said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? This is the word of the Lord.
Morning uh, and welcome to the live stream. My name's Prash. I'm the senior minister here at St Stephen's, and it's great that you're with us. I just want to add my um, shout out to mums. Uh, Matt added earlier in the service. Really want to celebrate you and thank you for your care for many of us, and also just recognise the reality that um, celebrations like today's are tinged with bitterness and sadness for some. And we're glad that you're with us because ultimately the, good, the goodness of the Christian faith and the church is that we're brought into the great family where God is our heavenly father and he loves us and he cares for us and his promises are true for us regardless of uh, where we come from or what our history is. And so we want to really focus on that this morning. Now... The, the last few weeks we've been doing a series thinking about the journey of faith and looking at various characters in the Bible. 
and what it looks like for them to come to faith. This morning, we're thinking about the Apostle Peter. I love the Apostle Peter. He has a lot of things that are in common with me, and many of his mistakes uh, resonate with me and my own mistakes, and part of my journey to faith, and perhaps yours as well. When you think about the Christian faith, I wonder what you characterise a Christian as. For many people in our world, Christians are seen as people who are serious and dour and perhaps burdened at times. And not just our, our world now in the 21st century, but throughout the ages, Jane Austen often includes clergymen in her stories. If you've ever read or watched a Jane Austen film, you would have encountered a clergyman. Take Mr Collins from Pride and Prejudice, who Jane Austen introduces like this. He was tall, heavy-looking young man of five and twenty, that means twenty-five, and he was grave and stately, and his manner was very formal. Very formal. Is that how you think of your clergy? Is that how you think of the Christians in your life? Perhaps you don't know many, but that is your impression of the Christian faith. Formal and slightly burdened. Well, what I want us to see as we reflect on Peter is that in Peter we find perhaps the most opposite example of that and a challenge to us that actually ultimately for Christians there is a completely different dynamic at play. In our story this morning, which was read to us by Bob, we meet Peter after the death and resurrection of Jesus, the last chapter actually of John's account of Jesus' life. And the, the disciples have decided to go out and fish, perhaps resigned that they're returning to an old life. But as they fish and are at first unsuccessful, they spy someone on the, on the beach and the Apostle John realises that it's actually Jesus. And he says it is the Lord. And Peter, upon realising this, in a moment of complete self-forgetfulness, throws himself out of the boat and swims in. And John includes that beautiful little detail. It's only 100 metres. It probably would have been faster just to go back in the boat. But joy, excitement, hope just flood through Peter and he forgets and he just throws himself in, splashes his way to the beach and then realises he has to go back and help his, his friends drag the boat in, which is now full of fish. It reminds me, actually, of that scene in Forrest Gump. Maybe you know it, where Forrest is on his fishing trawler and his captain arrives at the pier and he sees him and self-forgetfully jumps off the boat and swims in to meet him. Peter has that kind of joy, that kind of joy which has captured him. And in a sense, I think that that is one of the hallmarks of the Christian faith of people who follow Jesus. It's a sense of self-forgetful joy, exuberant joy, joy that, that sends you to do things which seem silly when you reflect on them afterwards but which are heartfelt and true and sincere. There's a great example in the Old Testament of uh, King David. He's coming in with the Ark of the Lord, which is this symbol of God's presence with his people, and he is dancing with all his might, says the author. In fact, his queen is embarrassed by him, but David doesn't care because he's celebrating that God is with him. That is actually at the heart of what it looks like to follow Jesus, to follow the God of the Bible. At least certainly that's what the Bible is painting. And we see that. We do see that actually in, in Christian life. Uh, beautiful buildings like the one I'm standing in, which were, which were built hundreds of years ago, and are an expression actually of people's deep joy and gratitude to God, using their skills, their gifts, their talents to create beautiful things. 
I come from an Eastern background and uh, I've, I've seen and experienced Eastern religion which has music in it. But one of the things that strikes me about Christian music is the way that we sing with great joy, with such great hopeful joy. It's almost unshakable. In the midst of lament and sadness, we can finish with joy often. It's one of the hallmarks of the Christian life. And when you think about the conversions of Christian people, uh, one of the testimonies is to the way that the truth of the Christian message has transformed them and brought them joy and hope. John Wesley, who was a, a, a author of Christian songs, wrote this. He said, talking about his own conversion, he said, while he, that's the preacher, was describing the change which God works in the heart through faith in Christ, I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt a detrust in Christ, Christ alone for salvation. You see, to come to faith in Jesus is to experience a deep, lasting joy that comes from your heart and it transforms you, transforms you. And that's certainly the testimony of the scriptures and many, many of God's people over the years. Now, of course, an expression and an experience of deep joy is only part of the story of the Christian faith. It's only part of the picture of understanding coming to faith when you think of it in a biblical uh, model, through a biblical lens. For the ordinary Sydney-sider, actually, if I was to talk to you about coming to faith, many of us would see that as a growing appreciation and confidence in who we are. When we talk about coming to faith, we talk about finding ourselves. A great example is uh, that 2010 book, Eat, Pray, Love. Maybe you've seen the film. If you haven't read the book, it's a very, very, very well-read book about a lady called Elizabeth Gilbert whose life fell apart when she was about 34. She got divorced and she felt like she'd lost all balance. So she spent four months uh, eating in Italy, three months pursuing spirituality in India and a year pursuing love and relationships in Bali. Eat, pray, love. And, you know, for many people, that is how we ultimately think about the journey of faith. Can we find a position of balance in our life? Can we find our true selves? Can we have confidence in our true selves? And there's a lot of good in that, actually. God made each person in his image. There is value, there is purpose, there is worth in every single person. That is the testimony of Christian faith. That's the testimony of the Bible. Uh, and some Christians will come to church, some people will come to church for that very reason, trying to find balance in their life, trying to find a new confidence in themselves. But that is ultimately not what it means to come to faith, uh, certainly in biblical terms. And there are problems, I think, with thinking about coming to faith is ultimately coming to find a sense of balance and confidence in ourselves solely. It's interesting, a lot of the reviews of Eat, Pray, Love were positive, but equally there are many secular reviews from places like the New York Post and the Washington Post uh, about the film which described it as, I uh, quote one, a narcissistic new age vision of life. That's a fairly cutting description. What they're really saying is it's a very individualistically driven understanding of ourself. Now, we're in the middle of a pandemic. We've been in isolation. We know the limitations of, of individualism more than ever before in modern Western culture. We realise that though there are beautiful things about seeing the value of each individual, being an individual is not enough. It's not enough. 
And of course, the other problem with this is fundamentally, if you're trying to come to faith with a biblical vision of faith in mind, that is not how the Bible talks about the journey of faith. Think about Peter's story here. He is joyful, he's exuberant, he comes onto the beach and he meets Jesus. And you see how Jesus redirects his joy. His joy is just not about being, affirming Peter in his own value, but it is redirecting Peter into service. And so in verses 15 to 17 in the, in the passage, if you go back and read it later, or perhaps if it's sitting in front of you now, you will see in that moment, Jesus redirecting Peter he says, feed my sheep. And then he says, take care of my lambs. And he says, feed my lambs. Three times, he keeps redirecting Peter from the internal to the external. See, to come to faith is more than to have a greater confidence in yourself. It is to invest yourself in other people. It's to invest yourself in other people. Now, you might think, and actually the story of Peter in this is, is a commissioning to service of a very high level. In fact, we sense by the end that Jesus is prophesying Peter's own death in the act of service. It's a very high level of service. And that level of service, I guess, could leave us with a sense of, aha, there's where the burdensome of Christianity kicks in. That's why Christians are overwhelmed, are sombre. But listen to Peter later in his life. He writes a letter to the churches in the area called 1 Peter. And in the end of that letter, he says this, Be shepherds of God's flock, not because you must, but because you are willing. Surely he must have been thinking of this moment when Jesus himself is talking about feeding the sheep. He says, be shepherds of your flock, not because you must, but because you're willing. Because you're willing. You see, actually, ultimately, Christian service, Christian sacrifice, the life of faith given for other people, as wonderful and idealistic and altruistic as that, is meant to give you great joy too. It's not meant to be something burdensome. It's a privilege it's a joyous privilege. Now, as we think about that, we start to sense the real challenge of what we're being taught here in this part of uh, Jesus' life, in the last few days of his ministry on earth. There are challenges for the St. Stephen's members who are watching in today. There's a few questions for us to ask, isn't it, ourselves? Do we serve? Does our, does our journey of faith propel us into service and care for others? And importantly, do we do it joyfully? Do we serve with joy, with thanksgiving? Are we exuberant in our service? Are we willing to do what's costly and rejoice in it nonetheless? And where do we find the resources for that? That's a fundamental question that you might be asking, whether you're a believer or not. You're just thinking about this, this question from a philosophical angle. Where do you find the resources to be able to be servant-hearted and joyful at the same time? How do you have a faith, a journey of faith, that is outward and yet inwardly refreshing at the same time? I think ultimately the challenge here for us is the more we go outward, the more we're focused on service, sometimes the more our inner, inner heart gets, gets rubbed up the wrong way. The, the, the more bitterness can often creep in. You know, I said I loved Peter and his story, and I love him because he asked the questions that we're all asking sometimes, doesn't he? Do you see in verse 21, Peter's just been commissioned, and then he asks a question, which I say is a bit like a sideways glance. 
he, he's probably been sitting around the fire with a few of the other disciples, particularly the Apostle John, who's writing this account. And he looks at John, having just been commissioned to do something pretty extraordinary, pretty costly in his life. He looks at John, he says, what about him? In other words, will he need to do something costly like that too? Are you calling him to do something equally costly, Lord? It's a great question, isn't it? You know why? Because perhaps at that moment, Peter is thinking about his life of faith in terms of merit, not grace. See, he's thinking of in terms of fairness. Is it fair that you've asked me to do this? Have you asked him to do that too, Lord? Have you asked him to do that too? You know, interestingly, actually, sometimes the people who are most fervent in service and sacrifice are the people who struggle most with joy in their sacrifice and their service. And you know why? Because we're the ones who think about our service and sacrifice in terms of merit, in terms of fairness. Are you asking, Lord, others to do what you're asking me to do? And the problem, of course, then is that our life, our life might be a life full of service and sacrifice, but internally it's not a, it's not a life of joy, of refreshing joy. But Jesus is calling us to both those things. He's calling us to serve and to love doing it, to rejoice in it, to see it as a privilege, a wonderful joy. So how can we do that? How can we avoid the mistake that Peter makes? Well, I think the key, the key for us is to understand the foundation of our faith. And I think it's why Peter refers back later in his letters to that little moment of commissioning by Jesus at the beach when he talks about being a shepherd of the flock. Because those moments in verse 15 to 17 capture the gospel, the the two dynamic realities of the gospel, which we must always hold on to, the two realities of the Christian message, which we must always hold on to. Do you see in Jesus' questioning of Peter, do you love me? And then his commissioning, feed my sheep, and the repeated nature of the two sides of it. The first side of it is that true joy, you see, comes from true repentance. Peter has to come face to face with his failings. Peter has to come face to face. He cannot sidestep them. He cannot shift the blame for them. And he has to deal with them specifically. And Jesus is asking him three times. Why does he ask him three times? Because Peter denied Jesus three times at his time of greatest need. When Peter needed to stand with Jesus in those last hours of his life as he faced the trial and the scourging and the torture before his death, Peter denies him three times. And by asking him three times, Jesus is is asking Peter to come to terms with and acknowledge his failure. See, it's interesting, actually. There is no true joy in the Christian life unless there is true repentance. There's no true joy in the Christian life unless there's true repentance. You can't shift the blame. You can't paper it over. You and I need to come to terms with the real grief that we've caused the Lord. And you see that Peter comes to terms with the real grief that he's caused Jesus by the time the third question is asked of him. There's not true joy unless there's true repentance. But equally and importantly, at the very same time as there is true repentance there is true restoration. You see, every time Peter repents and declares his new love, his true love for Jesus, the love that he really has now, not the love that he was fake and was, was uh, 
was insincere previously, but a real love that understands the real nature of his brokenness. Every time he declares that, Jesus restores him by recommissioning him. It's a profound insight into the gospel that the very moment that we recognise our, our need for repentance and forgiveness, we receive the restoration that Jesus offers. In that very moment, as Jesus is dying on the cross, showing us the hideousness of our own sin that sent him there, he is paying the price for that so that we no longer are stained by that sin. In that very moment, Jesus turns our repentance into restoration. And as Peter's sitting there, he's seeing this because, of course, Jesus is handing to him fish and bread with hands that we know are nail-scarred. He sees that this is the very person who's wronged, and so this person has the right to restore him. And as he sees Jesus there, risen, defeating death, Peter understands this is a real restoration. It's not a restoration just of words, but of power, that he really can be a new person with a new heart and with new loves, that he really can be used by God because God is powerful enough to overcome, overcome Peter's suffering, overcome Peter's sin. You know, the thing that strikes me most about this restoration moment, it's not just Jesus saying, sure thing, Peter, no worries, I love you, we're all good. At the heart of restoration is Jesus recommissioning Peter. As one author said, forgiveness is the wonder of being trusted by God in the very area of my life that I disgraced him. Forgiveness is the wonder of being trusted by God in the very area of my life that I disgraced him. And that's exactly what's happening for Peter right now, isn't it? You see... He was called to stand for Jesus and he failed. But Jesus, in his moment of forgiveness and restoration, puts him straight back in that place again. And that, you see, that is the key for unlocking joy in our service. Because we start to see our service and our sacrifice as a great privilege of being invited to do something in an area that previously we had disgraced God in. Previously, when we'd been called to stand for him, to stand with him, we might have turned our back on him and rejected him. But in the gospel, we get a second chance to do that. Uh, ultimately, we are always captured by our need for self-justification. Jesus, Jesus was entitled to self-justification. He was entitled to never take Peter back. But in his mercy and his grace, he takes Peter back and he's offering to take you back too. He's offering to restore you. His nail-scarred hands are scarred for you as much as they are for Peter. And if you're thinking about the journey of faith, if you're thinking about how to find the true balance in the life of faith between service and joy, then start with Jesus, who served you at great cost to himself because the joy for him was to see you part of his family. Let me pray for us. Kind Heavenly Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ who served us by giving his life for us. And we thank you for your word that says that it was, it was with great joy that he did this because he saw the great benefit to us. Help us to accept this truth, to believe it, 
and to have our lives transformed by it. Amen.